Section 20 of Early Rome by Wilhelm Ina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 15. The League with the Latins and Hernicans. The principle of confederation, which was the chief cause of Roman greatness, seems to have been common to all the aboriginal races of Italy, and in fact was forced upon them by the necessities of their situation. In a time of almost incessant warfare, an isolated community would soon have been the prey of some powerful foe, if it had not sought security in an alliance with neighboring cities equally in want of assistance. Thus arose the old League of the Latins, of which in prehistoric times Alba Longa was the head, and the Temple of Jupiter Ladiaris on the Alban Mount, the common sanctuary. We do not know when and how this League was dissolved and Alba destroyed, for the story of her destruction by the third king of Rome is in every respect legendary. Yet there is no reason to doubt that Rome, as reported, succeeded Alba in the headship of Latium. We hear of no other power strong enough to have brought about the downfall of that city, and Rome was always looked upon as the successor of Alba, and took the presidency at the annual festival of the Latins on the Alban Mount. The stories of the later kings represent Rome as ruling over the Latins. Under Servius Tullius, it is said that a temple of Diana was built on the Aventine Hill as a common sanctuary of the Latins and the Romans. The younger Tarquin, we are told, reduced the towns of Latium by force and fraud, and extended his dominion over the whole country. Whatever may be the truth of these stories, the supremacy of Rome over Latium if it really existed toward the close of the regal period, came to an end with the expulsion of the kings. In all probability, as we have seen above, the Latins helped the Romans to throw off the common yoke, and both Latins and Romans became free at the same time. The pretended victory of Rome over the combined cities of Latium at Lake Regulus is a fable or a misrepresentation, the Latins were so far from being conquered by Republican Rome that the same year, 493 B.C., which witnessed the secession of the plebs and the establishment of the plebeian tribunate, is marked by the conclusion of a treaty between Rome and Latium, in which both appear as independent powers. That such a treaty was concluded is certain, for it lasted for more than a century and a half, that is to say, down to a period in which the leading events are no longer subject to historical doubts. Nor is it difficult to understand the motives which induced the two nations to conclude such an alliance. It was a renewal of that old union between the two kindred races which appears to have been temporarily dissolved after the Roman Revolution, and it was dictated by the common interests of both. The war with the Tarquins and the Etruscans, as we have surmised, was a common war of liberation, and the Etruscans remained for many years the common enemies of Rome and Latium. Other aggressors threatened both nations in the east and south. In the east, the Icaeans, a hardy and rapacious tribe of mountaineers, and in the south, the warlike Volscians, were pressing upon them. The Latin towns formed for Rome a line of fortifications on the south and east against these assaults, and Rome defended for Latium the line of the Tiber against the Etruscans on the western and northern sides. Thus both peoples were largely benefited by a league for mutual protection, and it seems to be hardly doubtful 
that the preservation of the independence as well of Latium as of Rome is due chiefly to this wise policy. The league between Rome and Latium is said to have been concluded by Spurius Cassius, who was consul in the year 493 BC, and author of the Agrarian Law in his third consulship in 486 BC. Soon afterwards, another nation, the Hernicans, who lived further eastward between the Icaeans and the Volscians, joined the League on equal terms. The object of the League being simply mutual protection in war, it left the independence of each contracting city unimpaired. But it is in the nature of such alliances that the stronger members gradually acquire an ascendancy which is very nearly akin to dominion. Rome, by virtue of her extent and population, was by far the most powerful and consequently the leading member of the League. In course of time, some of the Latin towns fell into decay, owing to the ravages of the Icaeans and Volscians. Others were actually destroyed and laid waste. Others fell into the hands of the enemies and became Icaean or Volscian towns in Latium. Rome and her allies were by no means always victorious. On the contrary, for more than a hundred years they suffered more harm than they inflicted. The Volscians succeeded in penetrating into the very heart of Latium, threatening even Rome itself. The Icaeans lay like a hostile garrison on Mount Algatus in the immediate vicinity of Tiber and Praeneste. War raged from year to year. Military training was more important than peaceful work. The Roman citizens and their Latin allies acquired in this hard school that discipline and warlike spirit, that unshaken bravery and endurance, which distinguished them ever after. Whatever the hardships and miseries of this period were, the walls of Rome resisted all attacks, whilst the Latins suffered so much that they were reduced from the rank of allies to that of subjects. The League thus proved highly beneficial to Rome. It served to protect her, and it raised her to a preeminence which she could not have otherwise attained. End of section 20